0: Turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. While you're turning there, uh, chapter 10 of Nehemiah, the people have expressed their renewed commitment to the covenant. And they have done that by affirming uh, several things. Their, uh, Their desire to honor godly marriage within the boundaries that God had set for them to properly observe the Sabbath, and then also to, to adequately provide for the ministry that's going on in the temple there. And this recommitment was a result of the revival that has been sweeping through the nation. Uh, it's been going right through their midst. And remember what preceded the revival. It was the reading of God's Word, right? Because real revival Begins with the Bible. Starts with the Bible. And so that's, that's what's going on in Jerusalem. Renewing the covenant that we talked about last week meant that God's people were separating themselves um, from the world around them to the ways of God. Right? And we mentioned last week that just separating from something isn't enough. That's a step. But we have to separate from that thing that's wrong and look towards Jesus as the Savior, to the ways of God. That's how we look. And so the leaders of the people, they kind of represented everybody, and they signed their names to that covenant in chapter 10. They knew who was in it together, right? They're looking around. They knew the families that were real Jews that were doing these things together, and then so chapters 11 and 12, they bring us more lists of names, so you get to hear me uh, struggle through some more names today, but they were grouped by families, they were grouped by even like military personnel, priests and Levites are listed as groups here, civil servants, royal servants, and, and more, these are kind of occupations that existed in the group of people, and they're listed here. There's some familiar names on the list, so keep an ear out for these things. But by and large, as we read through these names, you're going to see there's not a whole lot of significant people listed here, and yet these people are significant. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't know their names. there's David's not listed here, right? Solomon's not listed here. These big names that we're familiar with it's it's normal most for the most part normal everyday guys representing their families in these places and and so they've got normal problems just like you and I in a lot of ways. and so uh, let's read, and we've got a fair bit to read this morning because. These things are just connected, and so hang with me. We're going to start in verse one in chapter eleven, and then we'll read through verse twenty-six of chapter twelve, and then we'll pray. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lives on his own property in the towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah. Althea, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah. Son of Mahalelo, I think I got that. Um, of the sons of Perez. And of Mesa, Mesiah, the son of Baruch. Son of Kolhezu, Hose, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Jorib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shalonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. And these are the sons of Benjamin. Shulah, the son of Meshelam, son of Joed, son of Pediah, son of Coliah, son of Messiah, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer. And Judah, the son of Hassanah, was second over the city. Verse 10. Of the priests, Jediah, son of Jorim, Jachim, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Mashalam, son of Zadok, son of Mariath, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822. And Ediah, the son of Jeroham, son of Peleliah, son of Amzi, Son of Zechariah, son of Pashur, son of Malkijah, and his brothers, heads of fathers' houses, 242. And Amish Amishai, the son of Azarel, son of Ahazai, Ahaz, son of Meshalemoth, son of Imur, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Haggadolim, and the, of the Levites. Shemaiah, the son of Hashab, son of Azkaram, son of Hashabiah, son of Bunni, and Shebathai, and Josabad, of the chiefs of the Levites, who were over the ho- outside work of the house of God. And Mataniah, the son of Micah, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise, who gave thanks, and Bacchiah, the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shemua, son of Galal, son of Jedethon. All the Levites in the holy cities were 284. Okay, everybody take a deep breath with me. I needed a breath. Okay. Verse 19. Thank you, Debbie, for the encouragement. Nineteen, the gatekeepers, Aqab, Talman, and their brothers, who kept watch at the gates, were 172. The rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were in all the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived on Aphel, and Ziha and Gishpa were over the temple servants. The overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, son of Benai, son of Hashab- Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers, over the work of the house of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them, and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. And Pethahiah, the son of Meshezebel, of the sons of Zerah, the sons of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people." And as for the villages, with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and in Dibon and its villages, and in Jacob, Zeel and its villages, and in Jeshua and in Moladah and Bethpalet, and Hazarshual, in Beersheba and its villages, in Ziklag, in Meccannah and its villages in Enrimon, in Zorah, in Jarmuth, Zenoah, Adalam, and their villages, Lachish and its fields, and Azekah and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward, at Michmash, Aja, Bethel, and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah... Hazer, Rama, Gittim, Hetud, Zebom, Nebelat, Lod, and Ono, the Valley of Craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Chapter twelve. I, I just as I'm reading through these, I, I think of some of the names of the villages and towns around us. Right? Maybe not the easiest to say. It's funny. Eolia has one consonant in the whole name. anybody realized that before? It's almost all vowels. That's wild. Chapter 12. <clears throat> These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Sheoltail and Jeshua: Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Malach, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Ido, Ginethoi, Abijah, Mijamin, Mediah, Bilga, Shema, Shemaiah, Jorib, Jediah, Salu, Amak, Hilkiah, Hilkiah, Jediah. These were the chiefs of the priests and of their brothers in the days of Jeshua. And the Levites, Jeshua, Benui, Cadmiel. Jerebiah, Judah, and Mananiah, Mattaniah, sorry, who with his brothers was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving. And Bakbakiah and Uni and their brothers stood opposite them in the service. And Jeshua was the father of Joachim. Joachim the father of, Eli- father of Eliashib. Eliashib the father of Joadah. Joada the father of Jonathan. And Jonathan the father of Jadua. And in the days of Joachim were priests. Heads of fathers' houses, of Sariah, Mariah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, Meshulam of Amariah, jehoanan of Malachi, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Mer- Meroeth, Helkiah, of Edo, Zechariah, of Ginathon, Mashalom, of Abijah, Zikri, of Minaimin, of Medoah, Piltai, of Bilga, Shemua, of Shemiah, Jonathan, Jehoathan, just a little bit more. Jehoanan, I can't get it. Uh, verse 19, of Jorib, Matthanai of Judiah, Uzi of Sali, Kalai of Amach, Eber of Hilkai, Hashabiah of Judiah, Nathanel, Nathanel, verse twenty-two. In the days of Eliashib, Joada, Johanan, and Judah, Judah, the Levites were recorded as heads of fathers' houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of fathers' houses were written in the book of the Chronicles until the days of Jonathan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and to give thanks, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Mataniah, Bacbakiah, Obadiah, Mashalem, Talman, and Achob were gatekeepers, standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, son of Josedek, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor of Ezra, the priest and scribe. That's all we'll do today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, uh, these are names of guys that we've probably not read or heard outside of this book. And I just think of if, if every man, h- household representative was named in our community, even in this church body, Lord, we're going to find a lot of names of just ordinary guys, of people who are just living their lives under your authority Guys who don't do it perfectly all the time sometimes make pretty drastic blunders. And yet, these men and these names represent the work that you are doing. And so we, we pay homage to them and respect them by reading their names aloud here today, thanking you for using them to teach us things. Thank you for using the heads of homes in our community, in this church, to continue to to carry on this work of submitting themselves to your authority and then doing the work that you've called them to do. Lord, I do pray that you would teach us from this list today. I pray that you would help us to see right worship being established. Lord, and I I pray that our time together is honoring to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, That's probably the longest we've read collectively together in Nehemiah. uh, it won't reflect the amount of time that we spend talking about these names. That'll be relatively short in comparison. But I was thinking about this this week. And thinking about um, years ago, before Nikki and I had kids, um, before we moved to the community here, uh, a friend of mine was getting into the window tinting business. Okay, not cars, but homes. And he needed, he needed help on a particular job. And so I volunteered, didn't know anything about it. He was going to train me on the job. And as soon as I got to the home, I understood why he needed a hand. The house that he had gotten the job at was down in the, kind of outside the Chesterfield area. Um, I think it was the Wildwood area. And if you've been down there, you know, there's some some pretty nice neighborhoods in that area. And so we, you drove up to this house, and I could already tell it was different from most houses I'd ever been in. And we get in, and that's when I saw... The reason that he needed a hand, there were there were three levels of windows in like this atrium area. And we had to set up, I think, five levels of scaffolding just to reach the top, something he couldn't do on his own. So we're there doing this job. I think it was in, I think Albert Pujols had a home in a subdivision in that area. It was in, I think, that same kind of area. Very nice home. And as we're leaving... The job that night, I'm kind of looking around and I'm thinking, my the home I grew up in is a beautiful home, um, but it does not compare to this. Uh, there are a lot of things that that home had that, that my, any home I'd been in did not have. In fact, um, it just didn't compare. Homes I'd been in couldn't hold a candle to that as far as you know, architecture and space. And we probably look at a house like that, I did in the moment, and just assume, man, this person is obviously wealthy, but they're probably really important, probably lead like a really exciting life, right? That's that's what we assume. That may not always be the case. Um, we might even think, wow, uh, what what I have seems really insignificant and unimportant in comparison. So whatever these people do for a living in the home that they have, like we're not even on the same level here. It's tempting to think that. Nehemiah left a job working with the king. Now, he's a Jew. I don't know what kind of privileges he wasn't allowed to have as a Jew, but he had a pretty good gig in one of the biggest cities known to man very important looking job. I'm sure he had some very important looking lodgings, all of that stuff. Compare that to Jerusalem. And I think we get a sense with that big house I'm talking to you about of what kind of maybe what's going on. Not everybody in Jerusalem had been to the capital city or where Nehemiah had come from, but he did. And maybe it was him for him to say, man, this place, we finally got the walls built up, but nobody wants to live here. I left a place that was way more impressive than what Jerusalem is. And yet Jerusalem is supposed to be kind of the center of it all for God's people. It doesn't compare, though. It, doesn't hold, it can't hold a candle to what it should be. I think we can start to view the church, big C, in the same way, if we're not careful. Uh, How many of you guys have been to a Cardinals game with 40,000 other people? You're all pretty like-minded for the most part. You want to see the Cardinals win. You're cheering on your team. You've got so many people there dressed the same. You're all joining together. And then comparing that with coming to worship with 75 or 100 people Church seems kind of insignificant, doesn't it? It can if we're not careful. And yet, if we just compare the numbers, Christians across the world, they they value a lot more than 40,000 that would fit in Bush Stadium. But even without the sheer number of things, the work that a Cardinals fan is doing doesn't hold a candle to the work that a Christian does, right? Right? And so it's not unimpressive in the least bit. Now, the world may look at it that way, but I think there's some of that kind of churning under the surface when we get to these lists of names. It's listing jobs, occupations, what these people did, some of the numbers of who they were. And I think that's what's going on in specifically the first couple of verses of chapter 11. You can look back there with me. Right off the bat, it says that the leaders of the people lived there. That's good, right? Leaders are supposed to set uh, the example in what they do. So the leaders were living in Jerusalem. That's good. But it's still mostly uninhabited. And it kind of seems like uh, people don't want to live there. Right? The rest of the people, you can see that in verse 1, cast lots to bring 1 out of 10 people to live in Jerusalem. You guys understand what that means, right? They didn't want to live there. One out of ten people, you draw the short straw, you have to live in Jerusalem now. They didn't want to do it. It wasn't something that they were excited about doing. It's, it's possible now, we're not told exactly why that's the case, but a couple of reasons jump to mind. It's possible that they weren't excited to get back into the city because uh, land would have been an issue. Right? Land was, a, was a, uh, a, a stigma of wealth. Right? It kinda of still is to some degree. But if you had land, you could till the land, you could make a profit, but inside the city walls, we're talking limited space. You you might have to give up either some property you already own, or you, you'd have to give up the prospect of attaining more property if you were to, to go to live in Jerusalem as a sacrifice. Even if you already had land outside the city, chances are you weren't going to be able to work it if you lived inside the city. It would be too much logistically to do that. You might be able to pay some people, but that probably wouldn't pan out in the end. So so the, the point I think that's getting at here is sacrifices were going to have to be made to live in the city, to live in Jerusalem. Another reason that kind of jumps to my mind of why people weren't just knocking down the gates live in Jerusalem was simply because of the walls themselves. Uh, if, if you're going to attack a city, are you going to attack a city that's fortified with walls or one that has no defenses? Well, the one with no defenses would be easier, right? But chances are the one with the fortified walls actually has something to protect, right? So outside forces, marauding armies are thinking, what are they protecting in there? They probably have the stockpiles of food, resources, wealth, stuff like that. And so moving back to Jerusalem was almost like painting a big target on your back, right? At least that's what it could have been seen as. And so one out of ten people were forced to live there, considering it may be a dangerous place. And yet, look at verse 2. There's some redemption to all of this. There were some, apparently, who chose to live there. Men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And I I want to focus on a lot of that today. Because I think we can learn a lot of that even in our context today. So how did the people respond? You can see that coming up. Verse 2. The people blessed them. Blessed them. What does that mean? Well, it means that they praised them. That word blessed actually means to praise or to greatly thank And so they greatly thanked them, they blessed them, they esteemed them. These people were willing to volunteer to do what a bunch of other, one out of ten people had to be forced to do. And there were some who did it willingly. So I wonder, why? Why would they choose to move to a place that was possibly dangerous and that certainly seemed unexciting? Why would they volunteer to do this? And I think it boils down to a simple concept, I think these people were folks who understood what God was actually doing. That it wasn't just about the walls that God was rebuilding. Remember, we've said this several times now. God was actually rebuilding his people, not just the walls. And so they were people who were pursuing God's plan more than their own. They were more concerned with what God was doing than what they wanted. They were willing even to give up in order to see greater things come to pass. And I, just applying this to people that we know, this sounds a lot like what missionaries do, isn't it? People that give up in the context of Mother's Day. Certainly moms give up an awful lot for their families, for their kids. But thinking about missionaries, I mean, these are folks who go to places that are that's oftentimes a very hard place. The gospel doesn't have a big presence a lot of times where these missionaries go. And they do it because they are more concerned with what God is doing than what their own agenda is. They go to places far and wide, tell people about the gospel because they consider the name of Jesus greater than their own. Paul says this kind of thing. This is in your notes, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Might not be Acts. I think I might have written down the wrong reference there. But uh, he says this. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Missionaries do this. They give up the comfort and the ease of the life that they maybe grew up expecting. They give it up because they're more concerned with what God is doing. And in a similar way, we have people, I think, right here in our own community, specifically in our own church, who do this kind of thing all the time. Uh, People who give up a week of being in the worship service so they, they can serve families and serve in the nursery. Or... People who sacrifice time during the week and on Sunday mornings to to prepare to lead our church in music week in and week out. Or people who plan, who organize, who set up, who tear down for different events and ministries here at church. These people set aside what they might like to be doing otherwise, and they do what's necessary to serve the church. And as far as I know, none of the Sunday school teachers who teach... None of the musicians who help lead. Nobody who serves here drew a short straw on the situation either. They volunteered. You volunteer to do this, to give up your time, to go where you're needed. And I I want this morning to just respond in the way that the people in Jerusalem responded to the men who willingly brought their families back to the city. It says they blessed them. So if you volunteer in one of these roles... We want to bless you today. We want to greatly thank you. We want to esteem you. So, Sunday school teachers, thank you. Small group leaders. Small group hosts. Thank you for serving, for giving up your home and your time. Awana volunteers and verse listeners. Thank you. Our finance team. But there's a bunch of stuff behind the scenes. Thank you for serving. Kathy, thank you for serving. Deacons, elders, thank you for serving our church. Landscape crew. Did you see the, the primrose outside? It's beautiful. Those are primrose, right? My wife told me that. I'm not that smart. <laughs> Just trying to make sure I got it right. This is beautiful. We, you all volunteer your time willingly, because you see the bigger picture. Now, it's not about the flowers. That's beautiful, and they bring us joy. It's about the body of Christ. It's about the name of Jesus. But we want to esteem you and thank you for what you do. And so many others that I've forgotten to mention. We we want to bless you today. We want to thank you. You demonstrate Christ in what you do. And I think these Old Testament Jews... That we're talking about here in Jerusalem, in Nehemiah, who willingly volunteered to move into the city or were demonstrating a Christ likeness before he even came to the earth. You know what I'm saying? Before the incarnation, these people are acting like Jesus. They're sacrificing for the sake of others, for the sake of the name of God. They gave up safety and comfort so that others could have that in the future. Following Jesus, in fact, means laying down our lives for the benefit of others, just as he did for us. And so for those of you who serve around here, please keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what the Lord is leading you to do. Keep delivering those meals to new parents. Keep accompanying friends to the doctor. Keep sending those notes of encouragement Keep visiting those who can't get out often. Keep checking in on those who you don't see in the worship gathering week in and week out. Keep demonstrating Christ in what you do. The rest of the text, we see just name after name, role after role, occupations. Uh, And I just want to kind of touch on a couple of them. There's some significance to all of these, as I mentioned, but just a couple of the things I want to point out. Look at... Look at verse 6, look at verse 8, and look at verse 14. There's some terms used here that I just want to mention. Valiant men, talking about men of honor, mighty men of valor. Now, we don't know a whole lot of details about who these guys were, but it looks to me like one of the valiant things that they did. Surely they were going to be able to protect the city. Maybe they were swordsmen, maybe they were people who were strong in that way. But it seems like the only valiant thing that they've talked about them doing so far is live for God. Is do what God has called them to do. Is sacrifice for others. They were willing to risk their necks for the sake of the kingdom of God. For the sake of his renown. They courageously chose to live in Jerusalem for his name's sake and for his worship. The worship of his name. So, the Bible talks about this life as a battle, doesn't it? Uh, a war, if you will, that we're in. that We need spiritual armor for, Ephesians 6 says, but our weapons, they're not physical ones. They're not guns or swords, none of that sort of thing. A Christian's valor isn't graded on how well you handle a spear or a sword, but on how well you handle the Word of God. You're valiant when you live your life according to and for the truth of God's Word, of Scripture. That's, I think, what makes these men valiant men, men of valor. Helps us to see that today, even Christians, we set aside comfort, we set aside convenience for the sake of scriptural truth, and for the sake of the Gospel. And I think that's what's actually courageous. Another thing to point out, Look at verse 17. You'll notice a guy named Asaph who's mentioned here. Where have you heard that name before? Anybody want to? In the Psalms. He's written. His name is penned in a number of Psalms. He's listed here as someone who leads the singing. I think this points to something deeper. It's cool that he's listed here. Kind of as a worship leader. But it points to something a little deeper than just that. The people on these lists were real Israelites. And this guy had a hand in singing, writing their songbook of penning these songs of praise to the, to the name of God would have showed that this guy, that this was a real Jew. This wasn't somebody who was grafted in, although God made allowances for that. This was a real bona fide Jewish person that they could say, okay, I've, I've, I know their family. They go all the way back. The genealogies of chapter 7, the list of covenant signers in chapter 10, and now these lists in chapters 12 and 13. They verify again who was in this together. These are God's people whom he made a covenant with. He's called them out to be holy, to make them holy. And, and so right worship in the city of Jerusalem was needing to be reestablished. And that, I think, is what's the, the underlying thing here. In all of these names, you, you can see when it's, it's talking about how uh, the priests and all these people are establishing correct worship in the city of Jerusalem again. And so I'm not asking you to memorize this list of names. You probably won't read through them like I, we just did this morning. But when you see a list like this, especially here in Nehemiah, remember there's a point to it. I think the point here is that right worship is being established again. These, the names of these people tell the story of who courageous folks are who understand God's calling to them as his people. They got it. And so they, they were moving back. They were, they were occupying Jerusalem, the city. These, these lists, they tell the story of people who understood the glory of God's name, of his holiness. They tell the story of who understood the responsibilities of those who've been redeemed. They have over and over in Nehemiah been told to remember. Those what the festival of the booths was all about, remember? Remember what God has brought them from. And now, in order to have them be able to go towards what God is calling them to, worship needed to happen properly. And that's what's going on. Deliverance from Egypt, in all those years before, in all the years wandering in the wilderness, show that God has redeemed these people. And so they respond now by believing, by repenting, by restructuring their lives around God's plans. In your notes, I've got a quote from commentary by James Hamilton, Jr. It says this, God mercifully delivers his people. He finds them on the path to destruction and he transports them to the path that leads to life. Those on the path of life cannot worship with those who are on the path of destruction because those on the path of destruction are worshiping everything but God. So these lists, talking about the lists in chapter 11 and 12, These lists represent the names of those who have been delivered from the path to destruction and put on the path to life. These lists are about the worship of God. I think that's what's at the core of what's going on here. Now, we don't like today to talk much in terms of inclusion and exclusion, especially exclusion. Some churches even avoid formal membership for that very reason. They don't want to offend people who feel weird about having their names on a list and are accountable. And yet, the list we see in Nehemiah and the church membership roles are even the most important lists that there are. There's a more important lists out there. There's a list that documents every person who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Revelation chapter 21 points to it as the Lamb's book of life. Those whose names are written there have been placed on the path to life. Question is, is your name on that list? Are you worshiping the true and living God by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit? You might ask, well, how can a person know that their name is on that important list? That list that God writes in that Lamb's book of life. How can you know for sure? That your name is written there. I think it boils down to just a very simple question that we refer to often. And it's this. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you put your faith in Jesus instead of anything else? Are you turning away from sin? Are you looking to Jesus as Savior? Are you daily trusting in His grace and living for Him? Are you pursuing, in the context of today's topic, are you pursuing His ways more than your own? You can answer honestly and say, yeah, to those things. By God's grace, your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And yet, perhaps you say, yeah, I've done this. Next question would be, are you actively participating in God's group of people? In Jerusalem, people sign their names to a list. Here, we have church roles and we say, you've identified with us. We're joining together in this. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we can look to our right and our left and say, they're in it with me. They're walking this life as hard as it is sometimes. They're walking this with me. Going through a bunch of the same stuff. They're with, they're with us. They're with me together. So are you actively participating in the body of Christ? See, the, Jew, the Jews in Jerusalem, they couldn't be just, just be content, I don't think, to claim Jewish lineage and say, yeah, I identify with you people but they never participated in what God was doing. Paul takes this a step further in the New Testament. He says, your heritage, your lineage, even the physical act of circumcision doesn't really mean anything. What's God done in your heart? So what's God done in your heart? The people in Jerusalem joined together with God's people. They made a covenant together. They signed that list. They're listed here together together. They make a a, a commitment to make the name of the Lord known among the nations. And you know what? Sinners are saved by grace for the same reason today. To make the name of Christ known among nations. So, I would say, if you said, yeah, this is describing me, not perfectly, but this is the desire of my heart to to follow and to make the name of the Lord known. Um, Let me just say... Keep serving. Courageously, in fact, serve your brothers and sisters for their benefit. Keep demonstrating the love of Christ in what you do. And please, don't have to draw the short straw to serve the body of Christ, to serve your brothers and sisters. Volunteer like these men and women who did. We don't know how many it was, and yet they were praised. You gain so much more by giving. And I hope that we see that. Moms live this out constantly, right? They might not feel like they're gaining a whole lot sometimes with the constant correction (laughs) and support. And yet, they know deep down, and that's why they do it. That's why they continue. That's why they persevere in these things, because you gain by giving. And I would just say, too, if you you question, if you say, I don't know if my name is on that all-important list that Lamb's Book of Life, if if your name isn't on that list, if you don't trust Jesus, if you care nothing for God's people, please, today, consider the outcome of your life. Consider eternity. The call of God to hear and believe the Gospel is before you today. Trust Jesus. Receive His forgiveness. Live by faith, by His grace. Romans 10.13 reminds us says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement to serve willingly. Lord, I, I pray as we move into... As far as our church goes, a new kind of church year, I pray that you would spur the members of Ramsey Creek on to serve and love one another in in ways even greater than we have before. I thank you for those who serve. I thank you for those who have dedicated time, who've given of their money, other resources, to honor you by serving this church and by reaching out to the community. Lord, I pray that they would continue to demonstrate Christ in what they do. I pray that you would convince us of the truth that we actually gain more by giving. Because we we, we image Christ in that way. And Lord, I pray if there are those who are listening this morning who don't know you, whose names are not written on the most important list, God, that they would hear what has been said today. That they would put their faith in Christ who has gone before them. Who has taken sin on the cross and done away with it. And I pray that they would believe that that's true for them. And that they would put their faith in Christ and be saved. Because everyone who calls on your name will be saved. And so Lord, I pray that some are saved today. And I pray that some are encouraged today. And I pray that those who are serving are, are motivated to continue to do so. By your grace and for your glory. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.